0: Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. If you'd like more content like this, visit us on our website at www.surechurch.com. The following sermon was preached on April eleventh, 2021, on the basis of 1 John chapter 5, verses 1-6. to 6. Join me in a prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The section of scripture that we're going to look at today is found in your bulletin on page 10. You'll find it on the screen in front of you, too. It's from 1 John, chapter 5. We're going to make reference a few times to to some passages from, from 1 John, chapter 4. As well, but we'll read first John chapter 5, verses 1 to 6 to start here. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. This is God's Word. Subject, action verb, linking verb, predicate noun, indirect object, direct object. Any of you having flashbacks to English class? (laughs) Breaking out in a cold sweat over the trauma that you suffered in English class? English isn't the the easiest language, even for, for native speakers, right? Don't worry, I'm not going to quiz you this morning on what a subject is or what a predicate noun is or when you use these, how you identify. I'm going to make you diagram sentences. not going to make you do do that. But the reason I bring it up is because I want to make reference to to something that you learned in English class, no matter how long ago it, it was. I want to do a quick refresher on direct objects. So if a sentence has an action verb, uh, not always, but, but a lot of times it will have a, a direct object, the, the recipient of the action, right? So, so let me give you an example. If the sentence was, John gives, dot, 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 you'd recognize that that sentence doesn't seem complete, right? That the thought has not been completed yet. What, what is John giving? Come on, stop, stop leaving me in suspense, <laughs> The direct object of that is the answer to that question, right? What is John giving? So let's say John gives a gift. Ah, okay, now we've completed the thought. The gift is the direct object, it's the recipient of the action. So, why are we talking about this? Why why does this matter? Well, the section that we're looking at from, from 1 John chapter 5 shows us that the direct object matters. When the action verb is love, love needs a direct object. I'm sure you'd agree with me that that love is a a positive thing. Uh, The Beatles told us that, right? All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. (laughs) And I say that a bit jokingly, But I think there's a lot of truth to that and I think that's a common thought in our world. I think if you asked someone, what would make this world a better place? Maybe if someone asked you that, you'd say this too. The world just needs a little more love, right? How could we disagree with that? Love is a good thing. It's definitely better than the opposite of it, right? It's definitely better than hate. (laughs) Love brings good feelings. Hate, bad feelings. Love brings Peace, hate brings hostility. If given the choice between the two, of course, we'd pick love, right? And so in the chapter before 1 John 5, in 1 John 4, when John writes that God is love, this is something we can get on board with, right? This is a positive thing. This is something we desire in our God and we're so blessed to have in our our God, that God is love because it's saying that, that God isn't just sometimes love. God is love as if God and love are synonymous. God is the very definition of, of love. In, in our foundational course here at, at Sure Found, Foundation, it's called Faith Builders. We walk you through the, the basics of Christianity, but perhaps that's a bit of a misnomer. That's how I always describe it to, to you guys. That this is the basics of the Bible, the basics of Christianity, the basics of our church here. But it's not always so, so basic. When I say basic, it makes you think that it's simple. But there, there's some deep questions that come up in the course of this class. One of the, one of the lessons that we cover is creation and the, the fall into sin. And can I tell you that every time that I've, I've taught it, inevitably one question comes up. And it's a question that's worthwhile for us to ponder today. It's a question that, that good, diligent Christians would, will want to think about because it has implications on who we see God as. Here's the question. If God knew that humans were going to fall into sin, if God knew that humans were going to reject him, then why did he create humans? Why did he create you and I if he knew that we were going to reject him? It, it's a pretty good question, isn't it? it it's kind of interesting to, to ponder that one. I don't know if you've, you've thought of that one before. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. But maybe something that we should say at the outset is we're not going to be able to, to, get to, to completely understand or explain the mind of God. And if you think that you can, we might need a little humility introduced into our, our life. So as long as we understand that, right? It's a worthwhile question to ponder. If God knew we were going to sin, then why did he create us? Because God knows everything, right? He knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. And so he knows the people that he created were going to reject him. That Adam and Eve were going to betray him by disobeying his command in the garden. That the world would become so corrupt at some point that it would necessitate a worldwide flood. That throughout the course of history, his people would reject him again and again and again. And eventually, they'd reject his son. And that's just on a history level. On a personal level, think of how we've contributed to that heartbreak of God who created us. When we've continued to prioritize other things, other people, over God, over our time in his word, over service to him. When we think about the times that we have broken clear commands of God, if God was thinking ahead to the time when he would create us, he would see that there is only heartbreak that lay ahead of him there. Now, if you were in that place, right, if you were in the place where you could see the future, and you could see that heartbreak lay ahead of you, and you had the opportunity to avoid it, you would, right? Of course you would! If you knew something was going to happen, and that if you did just something a little differently, and you would avoid heartbreak, of course you would avoid it. And you know, God could have too. God could have lived in eternity within the perfect unity, the perfect love of the Trinity, of loving the Son and loving the Holy Spirit perfectly in perfect unity with no conflict whatsoever. He could have avoided all the heartbreak and not creating the world, not creating humans, not creating you. We already made reference to the passage, but here's what we learn about God, though, from Scripture. That God is Love. Now, now this most certainly is a quality of God and a characteristic of God. But it is more than just an abstract concept that's kind of floating around out there somewhere. It's more than this ethereal thing that, that you can't really grasp. God is love and God shows us that he is love in his action, in the object of his love. He knew. <laughs> he, he knew the heartbreak that, that was, he was going to suffer uh, on behalf of you, but he created you anyways because, here's the answer to the question that we proposed earlier, God's love needs a direct object. <laughs> God is love and he needs a place to, to put that love. His love would not allow him to, to live in isolation, but, but he created you even though he knew that she would reject him. Even though he, he knew that, that his people, that the people that he called his very own, would at times hate him. He, even though he knew that his people, that he came to, to save, would, would string his son up on the cross and, and kill him there, he still chose to create us anyways. <laughs> That's how, how much God loves you. You are the direct object of his love and he loved you that much that he was willing to create you despite all of the heartbreak and pain that you caused him by your sin. And as awesome as this thought is, and it really isn't an amazing thought to consider, this isn't even the height of God's love for us. Sure, he was very loving to create us even though he knew how we were going to treat him and act towards him. But the height of his love is seen when Jesus is nailed to the cross. When Jesus is spilling his blood on the cross for people that would reject him. For people that shouted, crucify him, crucify him. These were the very people that he came to save. John said that in verse 6. We're going to jump to the very end of our section that we read. He said, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. So, so he came by water first. This, re, this recalls his baptism, right? We remember when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by, by John the Baptist. This was the beginning of his, his ministry. But he didn't just come by water. He also came by blood. When he was nailed to the cross, when he spilled blood on the cross, And when the combination of water and blood spilled from his side as the spear from the soldier pierced his side. This is love in action. This is God showing you that love is more than just this abstract concept, something that we can't grasp, but love is put into action and love always has a direct object. And brothers and sisters, you you and I are the direct object of Jesus' love. In, a, in an article written in, in a, a psychological blog, that's maybe not the right word for it, it it's called, called Psych Alive. Uh, this lady named Kim Firestone, she, she wrote an article that was talking about uh, how to live a meaningful and, and fulfilling life. And one of the things that, that she said, her main point in, in the whole article, was that, The key to a meaningful and fulfilling life is to have love in your life. Now, I think we'd agree with that as Christians, right? But we'd maybe add one little addition to her her article. Her article wasn't religious at all, but we, being Christians, we're going to add this into it that the key to living a meaningful and fulfilling life is love, but it's knowing the love of, of Christ. Right? That true meaning is found in the love of Christ because we see that, that there's a meaning that transcends just this life. The key to living a fulfilling life is to know the love of Christ because the love of Christ is what fulfills us. This love is a pretty awesome thing. And this love that Christ showed for us is not without effect. That same passage before in 1 John 4 that we referenced that says God is Love. In the same passage just before that, it says, Whoever does not love does not know God. And so, what he's saying here is there's a connection. There's a connection between knowing God, knowing his love, and loving someone else. So, so we could say the opposite too. Whoever does love does know God. Knowing God is vital and crucial. In your ability to love other people, in fact, we wouldn't even know what true love is without God, without seeing Christ's love. We may, we may think that we, we know what true love is, but, but our definition of love would pale in comparison to what God says love is. And so John begins at the beginning of chapter five here by, by describing to us what this love has done for us and how this love has shaped our identity. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So, so we see Christ's love for us and, and this love for, for us has effect in our life when we were brought to the waters of, of baptism, when we were washed clean of, of all of our sins, when we were brought into the, the family of God. And when he continues to, to forgive our sins, we did the confession absolution before. He continues to forgive all of your sins. This love of Christ shapes and forms your life and your very identity. You are born of God. When when God picked the direct object of his love, he picked you. And that means everything to us. John goes on. Everyone who loves the Father will love his child as well. Loving the Father and loving fellow believers are, are synonymous. If you love the Father then you will love other believers. You love all people, right? John is not saying that we don't love all people, but here specifically he's focusing in on the love of believers. But here's where it gets messy, right? If love is put into action, if love has a direct object, and I think about my love for other people, then I start to think, well, the direct objects of my love are sinners, and to complicate the matter even further, I'm a sinner. <laughs> Which means that the people that I'm trying to love, the direct objects of my love, will act many times as altogether unlovable. And it also means that I will act in a way that sometimes is altogether unloving. <laughs> you know, it's pretty easy, pretty easy to say that we want to be a loving person. Person. Now, we want to show love to somebody when it's a, a concept, when it's this ethereal thing, a characteristic equality about us. But, but when we have to put love into action, when, when love needs a direct object, this is where, where love gets messy, right? We're, we're dealing with sinful humans. We, too, are sinful. Add to this the fact that I often don't even know how to love properly. <laughs> that I might think that I, I, I'm trying to love someone, that I might think I, I want to show love to this person, but my love might be misguided. My love might, might actually be leading somebody down a bad path, might be enabling them, enabling bad behaviors or, or sin. But John goes on and he makes this kind of simple for us. He, he says, if you want to know how to, to properly love someone here, this is how you know that we love children of God, by loving God and by carrying out his commands. It's a really interesting verse. Just take a look at it again. We love others. How? By loving God and carrying out His commands. So loving God and His Word. Being in His Word. Being where you're sitting right now. Being in His Word. Worshiping Him. Putting God first in your life. Making Him your priority. Serving Him These are all ways that that we not only just serve God, but we serve the people in our our life, too. By obeying the commands of God, we serve our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So so here's what this means. The the love of God that that flows from, from the Father permeates the rest of our life. And when we love the Father, that works its way into the rest of our life, too. A lot of you have heard me describe the, the vertical relationship with God and the horizontal relationship, too. Let me, let me give you a little refresher here. The vertical relationship with, is your relationship with God, right? That makes sense. Vertical. Us and God. The horizontal relationship, you can figure that out, it's between us and, and the people around us, right? And so here's what John's saying. You can't divorce the two, this vertical relationship and this horizontal relationship are so tightly connected that when we, we love God, when we have a relationship with God, that overflows to every, everyone else in our life, everyone else around us. The love of God has power and it has effect to, to change me from, from dead to alive. Vertical relationship. Love of God has power in my life to, to help me properly and, and Voraciously love others. So, as I was reading this, this text, I thought, you know, this is kind of a strange text for right after Easter, right? Um, let me tell you what, what I'm thinking a little bit. It doesn't really mention Jesus rising from the dead or anything like that, right? We could have had the sermon on the gospel where the disciples are coming to grips with Jesus rising from the dead. So, it, where's the connection here? Where's the connection between Easter and this text from 1 John here? Well, let me tell you that I don't think you have to look too hard. Being born of God, as John says at the beginning, would have no meaning if Jesus had not risen from the dead. You talk about the love that has power, the love that flows down from the Father that was shown to you on the cross and the victory that he won by rising from, from the dead, that love that flows down from the Father without Jesus rising from the dead, that, that love has no power. It has no power to change you from dead to alive. It has no power to, to motivate you to love others, to, to change your life in a, in a real way. Without Jesus rising from the dead, none of this holds together. The whole of Scripture doesn't hold together if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But because he did, Being born of God means everything for you. It gives your life meaning. It makes your life fulfilling. It means that the love that flowed down from the Father affects you. It changed you from dead to alive. That love affects the way that you love others in your life. And so we seek to be around the Father all the time, to to remind ourselves that, that we are the direct objects of his love. And that the love that he wants us to show in our life too will always have a direct object. Amen.